if you have a Bible, you can turn to Jeremiah chapter 52. We are finishing our fall series on the book of Jeremiah this morning uh, before we head on into Advent next Sunday. You guys prepared for Advent starting already? All right. Um, but we're going to finish up Jeremiah this morning. We're going to look at the last eight verses of the book of Jeremiah. And uh, as um, I've been reminding you every week, Jeremiah is, is a long book, and it's 52 chapters of Jeremiah warning the people that they're not listening, they're not loving God, they're not loving others, they're using people, they're hurting them, they're failing to show ju justice and compassion, and, and because of that, Jeremiah says, God is going to judge you, and he's going to bring Babylon, this, this powerful nation, against them, to destroy them, and to carry them off as captives into exile. But also, in the midst of that, there are these moments where he also reminds them that God promises to continue to love them, and to forgive them, and to restore them. There are these moments of, of hope, reminders that there's hope for the future. And, uh, and the question is, as he writes to them, as he speaks to them, would the people of Israel listen and actually believe that that's what's going to happen? Would they really believe that, that he's going to bring judgment, or would they just kind of ignore him and continue going their own way? Would they actually believe that God was going to show grace, or would they, would they really listen and believe or not? And I think that is key for all of us who consider ourselves Christians, who are trying to live a life where we're following Jesus and trusting him. The question for us is, do we really believe what he says? Are we really going to respond to him and count on what he says as true? Or are we just going to kind of not take him seriously? So listen to God's word as I read from Jeremiah 52. I'm going to read from uh, verse, the end of verse 27 through the uh, end of the book, verse 34. It's printed in your order of worship if you don't have a Bible. So Judah was taken into exile out of its land. This is the number of the people whom Nebuchadnezzar carried away captive. In the seventh year, 3,023 Judeans. In the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar, he carried away captive from Jerusalem 832 persons. In the 23rd year of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away, the, and ca carried away captive of the Judeans 745 persons. All the persons were 4,600. And in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 25th day of the month, evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he became king, lifted up the head of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and brought him out of prison. And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim put off his prison garments, and every day of his life he dined regularly, at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king according to his daily need until the day of his death, as long as he lived. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we, we ask that you would work in us now as we think about these words, that your spirit would be active in our hearts and our minds, that you would help us to listen to you and to take you at your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, there was a loud bang and a subsequent clatter from the next room over. And I got up and peeked around the, uh, the doorway into the dining room, and I saw that one of our children was kind of splayed on the ground, and their chair had been tipped over, and they were just like laying there, you know? Thankfully, they were still conscious. He, they weren't hurt really badly, and I knew exactly what happened. They'd been leaning back on their chair, like I had so often told them not to do. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've told our kids, do not lean back in your chair. I'm sure if you have kids, you've had that same battle with them. I know my dad had that battle with me when I was a kid, you know. My dad's mantra was, four on the floor, four on the floor. <laughs> but that's, I mean, I've been known to say that myself to our kids. <laughs> they, uh, they, they're constantly leaning back in their chairs. We're like, don't do it. Don't tip back. You're going to fall eventually. You're going to fall and you're going to get hurt. And this, had, this is exactly what had happened. They were tipping back in a chair and they fell down. And, and they, thankfully, they weren't, you know, really hurt. They were just shooken up. But, so it took everything in me, you know, not to, you know, take the satisfaction from, from just being like, I told you so. You know, sometimes it feels so good when somebody does something that you're warning them about to just, you know, be like, I told you that was going to happen. I told you so. Other times when there's actual real pain involved or suffering because of their actions, it, we, we, it's, we can restrain ourselves from saying, I told you so, right? But in our, in our hearts, we're thinking, why didn't you listen to me? Why didn't you listen to me? You could have avoided what you're experiencing right now. Why didn't you listen? The end of Jeremiah is, is in one sense a big I told you so moment. It's a big I told you so moment. The entire book of Jeremiah, he's been warning the people, as I mentioned before. Repent. Change the way you're living. Stop turning to other idols. Stop hurting others. Or Babylon is going to come and destroy Jerusalem and take you off into exile. He's saying that over and over and over and over again throughout the entire book. And they don't listen. And they don't listen. And then this last chapter, chapter 52, if you read the whole chapter, you see this is what happens. Babylon comes and destroys Jerusalem. They burn the temple. They take all of the treasures out of the temple. They loot it. And then we have this line here in verse 27. So Judah was taken into exile out of its land. And they carried off a number of the people. This number maybe doesn't seem that big to you. It's very likely that this is the number of men that were taken. So there was the, the, the total number was thousands and thousands more. But the, the, the philosophy of the Babylonians was basically what they did is they took out of the country the most powerful people, the most wealthy people, the people with the most resources. They took out the leaders from the country in order to kind of hamstring the country and make them weak and powerless and rudderless. And that's what has happened here, you know? And so in a sense, there's this big I told you so moment. They have been failing to listen to God. They've been failing to, to change their ways. And so in the end, they got exactly what he said they would get, right? And I don't see God gloating here in this passage. Um, but I, I, I don't think God is happy how this turned out at all, right? And in the end, though, I, th I think God is saying, if only you had listened to me. If only you had listened to me. You see, everything is happening exactly as I said it would. And, and for the people who are reading this later, and for us, it's, it's God urging us, 
listen to the things I warn you about. Listen to the promises I make to you and actually believe me when I say them. And that's what I want to talk about for a few minutes here. I mean, first of all, I think one thing he, this moment urges us all to see is that God's judgment is no joke. He's not joking around when he warns us. He's not joking around when he warns his people about what might happen if they fail to trust him and to listen to him and to live their lives in light of who he is. When God warns that he's going to do something or that the people's actions will have consequences, then we need to count on those consequences actually coming to pass. We need to know that those consequences will happen. He, he said they would be taken into exile, and this is exactly what happened, right? What we see here in verse 27 is exactly what God said would happen. He's not the sort of God who like warns us about something and then kind of says, well, okay, I'll let it slide. You know, that's, I've, I've learned that as a parent, and I'm continually, I continually make you know, mistakes about this, where you know, we learned early on, when, when you warn a child of, of consequences, you have to follow through on those consequences. Or they learn pretty quickly that it, it, it doesn't really matter what you say. You know? Like when we warn the kids, you, know, you cannot belch at the dinner table. And if you do, you will lose your dessert. And then five minutes later, somebody burps. We have to follow through and say, okay, no dessert. And it's hard sometimes to do that. And sometimes I'm, I'm like, okay, we'll let you have two pieces of candy instead of three, you know. But uh, you, you have to follow through or, or they learn quickly, you know. Your, your word doesn't matter. God's word matters. When he says he's going to do something, when he promises us something, and he warns us about something, we have to count on the consequences we have to count on the consequences. So, you know, even as we look into the New Testament, Jesus even says some, some kind of, you know, sobering things. You know, we, we just read it this morning. If, if whoever would, uh, would save his life will lose it. That's what he says, right? That's what Jesus says. If you orient your life towards yourself and trying to save as much as you can for yourself, if, if, to try to protect yourself as much as possible, try to accumulate as much as you can for yourself. If you gear your life towards your happiness and, and what you want and your desires, in the end, you're going to lose your life. He means that. It's not just something that he says. It's a real warning. It's a warning and, and to, 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 to think about his invitation to, to lose our lives for his sake, right? To really think about, what does that look for me? What does that look like for me to actually lay down my life? Because if I want to try to hold on to my life with a white-knuckle grip, he says, it's going to slip through your fingers. You're going to lose it. When he says, if you don't forgive others, I'm not going to forgive you. We need to take his words seriously when we think about the way that others upset us or hurt us. And we need to think about, you know, God calls me to actually do the hard work of actually forgiving, the painful work of forgiving others. Because if I can't do that, how can I expect him to forgive me? When God says, you know, that, that if I judge others, you will be judged. I need to think about living a life of, of constant, constantly critiquing other people and thinking myself better than others and poking at, at, at others' weaknesses and failures and focusing on those things. And, and I need to, to, to recognize, God says, if, if I'm going to live a life judging others, I need to be prepared to be judged myself. 
You know, he warns us throughout the Bible. There's all sorts of warnings. And we need to take his word seriously. He's not joking. He's not joking. But even though the people um, experience the harsh reality of the consequences here, they're still encouraged to see that God's grace is a given. And how do you see that? Well, I, I see it simply in the fact that the end of the book doesn't, the book doesn't end with verse, you know, 20, verse 30, we'll say. You know, the book could have ended this way. The people were taken into exile, and this is the number of people who are now taken captive. The book could have easily ended there, right? Jeremiah's been warning the people, Babylon's going to destroy you. Babylon's going to take you captive. And in the end, they're taken off. But the book doesn't end there, does it? The book doesn't end there. The, the book actually ends with some hopeful news. King Jehoiakim, the, the last king of Judah, a kind of poor guy, you, you might want to be tempted to feel sorry for him. He was only king for three months before Babylon conquered Judah and carried him off. He was king for three months, and then he was put in jail for 37 years. Right? It says after 37 years, he's released, right? So he's king for three months. Don't, don't let him off the hook. I, to be fair, he was not a good king. He did his most with those three months to, to really mess things up. But he, he was put in jail for 37 years. But that's not where it ends, right? That's not where it ends. The, the new king of Babylon, evil Merodach, he becomes king. And immediately, what does he do? He lifts up the head of Jehoiakim. He exalts Jehoiakim. He honors Jehoiakim. He, he sets him free from prison. Jehoiakim puts his prison clothes away and then sits at the table of the king. And the king, the king uh, evil Merodach, actually lifts him up above all the other kings that are around at that point in Babylon. He's exalted. He's honored. He provides for Jehoiakim. And you see this, this uh, I think one of the things that, that jumps out to me as I read this is that there's this kind of daily this emphasis, emphasis on the daily provision for Jehoiakim, right? Jehoiakim put off his prison garments, and every day of his life, he dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king according to his daily need. Jehoiakim doesn't, the, Jeremiah doesn't end with Jehoiakim lost in prison. Jehoiakim ends up experiencing daily provision, this unexpected release, this unexpected turn of events for this guy that didn't deserve it. He is set free. He's provided for. And he experiences kind of like daily provision. And, and it's unexpected. And there's no, no, no other ex explanation for it other than the fact that God has done this. You know, this is one of those moments where, where you know, you, you don't, it doesn't mention that God does this, but you know that God is behind the scenes here working through the heart of evil Merodach to release Jehoiakim. And, and this reminds the people, as they read this, this reminds the people, God isn't finished with us yet. You know, one of the things I mentioned a, a few weeks ago, or a couple months ago, we, we were looking at Psalm 20, which talks about the king of Israel. And one of the things that, that the people of Israel were encouraged to, they, they were encouraged to see themselves as connected to the king. They were encouraged to see their, their future and their fortune totally connected to the king. So, so if things went well for the king, then things would go well for them, right? He represented them. And so as you see the end of Jeremiah, the, the king is released. The king is treated kindly. The, the king is provided for on a daily basis. And so the, the people of Israel are encouraged to see, okay, God isn't finished with us. 
all those promises that God made to us, that he was going to continue to show us kindness, that he was going to forgive us, that he was going to work, he, he had a future for us. There is hope. There's this reminder that, that God's grace doesn't stop with the disobedience of his people. And he continues to show Jehoiakim, and, and by showing Jehoiakim love and kindness, he shows the people to, to, to remember that God's going to keep showing them kindness and love. And again, this, this idea, I think we, we need to not only take God's warnings to heart, we need to take his promises of grace to heart. We need to take his promises to show us kindness. Those of us who have trusted in Jesus, God says, I'm going to love you. I'm going to show you kindness every day of your life. There's not a day of your life that's going to go by that I'm not going to be good to you, that I'm not going to show you my grace, that I'm not going to take care of you. It's a daily thing. We need to get in the habit of, of, of believing today that God is going to be good. No matter how stressful my day might look, you know, you have some of those days where you're just like, I cannot wait to be able to go to bed tonight because this day is going to be a hard one to get through. I've got some big obstacles coming up and this is going to be hard. And we need to remember to believe that God is going to provide for us. We need to believe his promises that, that he's going he's, he's to meet every single one of my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus, right? We need to, to remember on those days when, when we just have this, we're, we're dreading the day ahead of us, that, that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. We need to remember his promises and count on them. He means them. He means them. We need to count on his word of daily grace every day of our lives. But there's another significance to King Jehoiakim's freedom. So see, God had made another promise to the people of Israel, specifically connected to the kings of Israel. And I mentioned this, I think, last week and, and other weeks as well. But you know, when, when David, the greatest king of all, of all of Israel, was on the throne, back in 2 Samuel 7, God made a promise to David. And he said, you will never fail to have a descendant sitting on the throne. He made this promise to David that he would have a descendant that would sit on the throne forever, the throne of God's people, that would rule over God's people. And then 100, 100 years earlier, Isaiah, the prophet to Israel, you know what he said to the people? We're, we're going to read it during Advent. Um, he promises the fact that there's going to be a king who comes to Israel who comes from the line of David, the line of David's father, Jesse. He's going to be born, and he's going to be a king who rules over God's people with justice and with might. He's going to, he's going to defeat all of, of God's enemies, and he's going to bring in, he's going to reign with peace and justice and give the people joy. That's what Isaiah promises, that this, this, this king is going to be known as the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, the mighty God even. Isaiah promises this 100 years earlier. And then you have this moment in Judah. Israel's already been conquered and taken into captivity. Judah is left, and now they are conquered and taken into captivity. And their king is taken and put in prison. And, and, and as this all happens, there must have been the, the, the sense of the people of Israel, oh my gosh, it's over. It's over for us. This promise, anybody who was actually paying attention, this promise of this king who had come from the line of David, well, it seems like all hope is lost. He's gone. He's been taken captive. He's been lost. He's been forgotten. 
But now at the end of the book, you see this, this, this king, this final hope of this kingly line is set free and is exalted and is taken care of. And in this freeing of Jehoiakim, you have this, you, you have this reminder of, of, of the fact that God's promise of this future king is not dead. There's going to come a, a son, a grandson, a great-grandson of Jehoiakim who is going to rule on the throne. Next week, we're going to start the, uh, the, Advent, the new Advent, Advent series, starting with the book of Matthew. We're going to start just in the first couple chapters of Matthew. And the first chapter of Matthew is basically is, is this list of all of these uh, ancestors of Jesus, this long list of Jesus' family tree. Jehoiakim is in this list. You know, he's referred to by a different name, but he's in there. The setting free of Jehoiakim is a, reminding, a reminder of the fact that this promise of this future king is not dead. This promise that results in the birth of Jesus Christ. The wonderful counselor, the mighty God who would rule over his people. The one who is, is the answer to our sin and our hopelessness and our pain. And so in he, in, in, at the end of this of this passage, we, we have this reminder that God's king will not be conquered. God's king will not be conquered. The kingly line will not be wiped out. It's a reminder that God's plan to bless his people through his king was still on track, and they could count on it. They could count on it. He said that David's descendant would reign, that a child from the family tree of Jesse would rise and be the wonderful counselor and prince of peace. And so this passage urges us to take God at his word. To take him at his word of warning, to take him at his word of grace, to take him at his word that, that all of his promises are wrapped up in this kingly line that results in the birth of his son Jesus. That is where we must put our hope. To take him at his word that through the person of Jesus, we are no longer slaves or prisoners, but honored guests at his table. This picture here at the end is a great picture, right? When he puts away his, his, his prison clothes. You know, this this this. This, this indication that he is now free. As he dines at the table of the king, we have this beautiful picture, really, of the gospel. Because that is what God is inviting each of us to, right? As we take him at his word, as we believe that it's through Jesus that we can, we can be set free and brought into his family, it's through Jesus. Not only that we have to pay attention to his warnings and his promises, we need to pay attention to his invitation to come to his table and sit with him, and enjoy fellowship with him, and even get comfortable there, right? There's a musician named John Mark McMillan. Forgive me if I've, I've used this uh, reference before or recently, but uh, he has this live album where he talks between songs and explains some of his songs and stuff like that, and there's this one part where he's talking about how we all live for all sorts of things. We try to accomplish things with our lives. We try to fill our, sing thing, our, our lives with all sorts of different things. But he says for him, um, there's, there's few moments in life that are more satisfying than when he's sitting around a table with people he loves. And they're laughing. And they're eating together. And they're sharing stories together. And they're crying. And then there's that moment when everybody raises their glass. And there's that, just that sound. Ding. And he says, you know, that, that sound. Ding. Is, all of life is wrapped up in that sound. You know, fellowship and joy and connection and love and laughter 
and peace. Ding! That sound of people around the table loving one another where they know they belong there, right? This is what God invites us to and this is what we have a picture here. A picture up here. Jehoiakim spends every single day of his life at the table of the king. You know what that must have been like? You know, sometimes you go somewhere, and, uh, and if you're not familiar with the people, it's, it's a little stiff as you sit around the table. You're not really that comfortable. You're like, should I put my elbows on the table or not? I don't know. You know, but, but there are other places where you, you, you know, you feel so at home. You belong so much that, that you, you know, you can, you can just, you're just comfortable there. You can do whatever you want. You can even lean back in your chair, right? And you know you're going to be loved. And that is what God invites us to. We have a picture of it here. God invites us to come and sit at his table and to know that we belong there. God invites us to come to the table with him and go, ding, to enjoy fellowship and love and laughter with him. And yeah, even to lean back in our chair and know that he's going to love us and even catch us when we make a mess of ourselves. Let's take him at his word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this, uh, the ending to this book here, this book of Jeremiah, that it doesn't end in hopelessness, that it doesn't end in darkness, uh, the darkness of a prison cell, but it ends with a feast, with a, a daily feast, with a table, where Jehoiakim even is treated better than anyone else and is comfortable and knows that he is welcome and accepted. Father, we pray that you would help us to, to tap into that, to your invitation to, to sit at your table and know that we're accepted, know that we are no longer slaves, we're no longer prisoners, but we are loved and we are honored guests, members of your family. We pray that that would really change us, that that would in, encourage us to actually listen to your warnings, yes, to your promises and, and, and your grace, yes. Help us to listen and account on those things. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you're able, please stand with us.